Let me just invite you for a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord. You are all to us. Uh, we come together to declare that. And we ask for your blessing as we come to your word now. And may you stimulate our mind. May you warm our hearts. May we leave this place with a greater capacity to want to love Jesus more and to experience more of your grace and your mercy and your compassion and bring it to our community. Bless this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Microphone on? Yep. The story comes from America. Uh, it's about a rather old-fashioned lady who was planning to a couple of weeks vacation in Florida. And she was also quite delicate and elegant with her language. So she wrote a letter to a particular campground and asked for reservations. She doesn't know how to use internet and all that. She wanted to make sure the campground was fully equipped and didn't know quite how to ask about the toilet facilities because she just doesn't want to use the word toilet. She just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in her, her letter. So after much deliberation, she finally came up with an old-fashioned term called bathroom commode. A bit like British, they call it WC, isn't it? Water closet. Bathroom commode. But when she wrote that down, she still thought she was being too forward. So she started all over again, rewrote the entire letter and referred to the bathroom commode simply as BC. And then this is what she asked, does the campground have its own BC? Is what she actually wrote. Oh well, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned at all. And when he got the letter, he couldn't quite figure out what the lady was talking about. That BC really stumped him. And uh, after worrying about it for several days, he showed the letter to other campers. But he couldn't figure out either. And the campground owner finally came to the conclusion that the lady was and must be asking about the location of the local Baptist church. <laughs> so he sat down and wrote the following reply to this lady. She said, Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but now I take pleasure of informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite and it is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away, especially if you are in the habit of going regularly. <laughs> but no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along <laughs> and they make a day of it. They usually arrive early and they stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And believe me or not, it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time we were there. Uh, it may also interest you to know that right now there is a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. 
and they plan to hold a supper in the middle of the BC. So everyone can watch and talk about this great event. You know, I would like to uh, say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly. But it is surely not for lack of desire on my part. You know, as we grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decided to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you for the first time. <laughs> and I can sit with you. <laughs> and I can introduce you to some other folks. Because this is really a very friendly community. Well, I hope there's no uh, distortion and no confusion of what we've been talking about church. Over the years, uh, many, many people have distorted uh, church, what the church actually means. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about church being the bride of Christ. We have been talking about church as a vineyard of God. We've been talking about church, a holy and royal priesthood. And we've been talking about as a church as the flock of God. And last week, we have church as an olive tree. And today, I want to touch on church being the body of Christ. And then next week, we'll finish it with uh, the church being a family of God. So this morning, I just want to touch on church being the body of Christ, which to me, I think probably is the most common image that people could think of. Uh, but let me just show to you some of the false pictures of the church. There are a couple of them I could think of uh, that are not recorded in the Bible, but it's the false pictures of the church. There are four of them. The first one that I could think of a false image of the church is that the church as a petrol station. Some people think of church as a petrol station. Uh, the church is a place where you fill up your spiritual tank. You know, we drive, we run low, you go to church, you just top it up again to sustain you for the entire week. Uh, they see just church as dead alone. Uh, but I can assure you that church is not a petrol station, even though it does fulfill the function, but it is not exclusively defined as a petrol station just to f fill you up and keep you going. The church is also has been seen as a movie theater. Uh, for many people, the church is a place that offers entertainment. Yes, I may sometimes crack a few jokes here and there, uh, but the church primarily is not a place to entertain you. Uh, go for an hour escape. Some people, hopefully, in comfortable seats. Now the churches are built in so comfortable, like a cinema, and some even hire cinema uh, for the church. Uh, leave your problems at the door. Come out smiling and feeling better than when you went in. Uh, church is a place to entertain you, amuse you, make you laugh and smile and make you happy. Uh, but that is not the image of the church. Even though sometimes we can feel uplifted, you know, we feel fun going to church. I know of someone attending this service, no longer, no longer attend this church. He came to me and said, well, Pastor, my son finds coming to church very, very boring. I said, I wish I could help you, but I can't. Because the church, I can't really entertain you I can't do much other than the fact that uh, uh, live up to what the church is supposed to be. Uh, thirdly, the false image of the church is also being depicted as a pharmacy, uh, like a drugstore. Uh, 
the church is a place where you can fill the prescription that would deal with your pain. For many, the church is therapeutic, makes you feel better. You can go in and take some kind of drug, get your a fix, and makes you feel a bit better. But then again, it may fulfill that function sometimes, but it's not exclusively that alone. And lastly, the church falsely has been depicted as a retail store, like a shopping complex, like Chetston or, or Westfield Shopping Town. Uh, you see, the church is a place that offers the best products in a clean and safe environment for you and your family. The church offers great service at a lower, low price, all in one stop. And for many people, the church is a producer of programs for young kids all the way up to elderly. It's all about programs to meet all of your needs, like a retail store. You walk in, you can go to any shop that you want, in any food you want, uh, sometimes discounted price as well. But you won't find any of these pictures of the church in the Bible. No. And all of them are distortions. And they all have one thing in common. Did you find out what is the one thing in common in those four images? They are all about me. It's all about me. Fill me up. Entertain me. Take away my pain. Give me the programs my family and I are looking for. And there's only one word. It's pure consumerism. You consume. You just consume. I put some money in the bag, but I just consume whatever they offer. I just provide service to me. I just pay some money to the church, like some kind of a membership and an offering, and you just expect to consume because I pay for it. I pay for my service. I'm expecting services. Uh, this isn't surprising because this mindset pervasive in our culture. I don't know about you, but I don't have particularly loyalty to any of these images here. I don't have any loyalty to any petrol kiosk station other than whichever station that offers me the cheapest price a day. I don't have any loyalty to a movie theater. You may buy a 20 visit to a village or whatever, whatever offer me cheap price or whatever I go, I don't particularly have any loyalty to that. I don't have any loyalty to any pharmacy. Primarily, I go to chemist warehouse because it's cheap. Uh, but I don't have any loyalty to them at all. I don't have any particular loyalty to Westfield Shopping Town, even though that's my playground. I see a lot of people there. I, I always tell church members, if you feel lonely, just go there, you meet someone there. Just park yourself and box you at the ste steps there, and you see someone there. You don't feel lonely. And then you go for lunch with them or something like that. I don't have any loyalty to all these things. I move around looking for the best deal. Uh, Christians who think about church in these ways find it hard to settle down and grow roots. And in some sense, you miss out what actually it can offer if you grow roots and be rooted and be part of the community. We need to move away from these self-centered ways of thinking about church and look at the pictures God gives to help us understand what it means to be the church. Today we are looking at this marvelous picture of the church as the body of Christ. As I said, which is the most 
common depiction. But I want to move away from 1 Corinthians 12 to Ephesians chapter 1 because they, they kind of give different picture of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the church is being depicted as a body of Christ as in each part play a role in the body. So the eyes cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The hands cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. But each part of us in the church plays a little role here and there to form the body. And that was uh, in the, in that really come out this term called priesthood of all believers. That every believer is a priest. You can function. You can serve God. But I want to move away from that. In Ephesians chapter one, is a different picture. It's a body of Christ, but it's depicting the Christ as a head, and we are the body. Christ the head, we are the body. And I want to read to you this text from Ephesians chapter one. 15 to 23. Primarily, I want to focus on the last verse, but you're going to see this beautiful context that build up to what the last verse offers to us. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart, do you know there's eyes on your heart? The eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be opened. What for? In order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. Isn't it beautiful? That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be opened, so that you may know this hope of which God has called you, a hope that we have in Christ. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. The riches, you know, all this, Paul is trying to use all these superlative words to, to, to just communicate maximum. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. And His incomparably great power for us who believe. Incomparably. God has power. Satan has power. Government has power. Temptation has power. But God's power is beyond any comparison because God's power itself is the standard. Cannot compare with anyone. And His incomparably great power for us who believe. And then Paul went on to give an example of this power. He said that power is the same. Same as what? Same as the mighty strength he asserted when he raised Christ from the dead. This power is the same power that is able to raise Jesus from the dead. And not just only able to raise Jesus from the dead, but he went on to say, seated him at his right hand, in his right hand in the heavenly realms. 
So this power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, above power, dominion, see the superlatives again, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the want to come. Paul said, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. So why did the Father raise Christ from the dead? Why did he sit Christ at his right hand and in heaven? Why have all things been placed under the feet of Christ? For what purpose? This is the verse. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. For who? For the church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. Christ is the head. We are the body. God uses power to raise Jesus from the dead, seated at the right hand of God, and all dominion, everything. Why? For the church, which is us, his body. D.A. Carson says that every analogy, every analogy of the church points us to Christ because he's the head. If the church is a bride, then Christ is the bridegroom. If the church is a flock, then Christ is the shepherd. If the church is a temple, then Christ is the builder, the foundation, or the cornerstone. If the church is the body of Christ, then Christ is the head. There's no such thing as a Christless church. There's no such kind of thing that believers come together, but Jesus Christ is not in the center. Although increasingly, uh, it seems to be moving down the pathway. Let's think about the analogy of the body and the head. The whole body is directed by the head, out through the central nervous system. The head cuts through the body. The body itself derives life from the head, and without the head, the body is lifeless. Think about what happens when you try to pick up a pen. The direction to pick up the pen comes from the head. The desire of the head is communicated through the body and members of the body collaborate together to fulfill the command. The arm stretches out, the fingers gather, the thumb presses against the fingers in order to form a grip and the arm lifts and the pen is ready to write. The head acts through the body. And so when we say that Christ is the head and we are the body, we are saying, Christ is actually telling us that he has chosen to operate through the church. But of course, this is not restrictive in the sense that Christ can only operate and fulfill his plan and will through the church alone. Christ is quite capable in the sense to do things and fulfill his wish without going through the church. For example, Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, he met Christ in the Damascus road, right? Is there a church? Is there someone telling him anything? No. Christ still can do and accomplish things without having the body in the sense. But Christ chose to use us as a church, as a body of Christ, to achieve his desire, his plan, and all that. And so the question, before I move on to want to give you five points on what is the strong implication when we call that we are his body and he is the head. What is the strong implication of this? The question I want to ask is, since Christ is committed to work through the church, if you are the body of Christ, why wouldn't you want to do the same? Why wouldn't you want to be part of it? 
And since Christ is building the church, isn't that what we should be doing? Since Christ loves the church, shouldn't we love her too? I wrote an article in the uh, This Month Bulletin that I overheard someone saying, oh, I, I mean, I heard many times people say this, different authors say this, I love, the ch- I, mean, I love Jesus Christ, but I hate the church. Some people said, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. St. Augustine, of course, says that you can't have God as your father without having the church as your mother. Because the church is the body of Christ. Yes, people have been disillusioned about church. Yes, people have been abused. Yes, people have been burned. People are angry, this, and there's some petty, some genuine. Uh, but Christ loves the church and gave his life for the church. Why wouldn't we want to be doing what he is doing? Why wouldn't we want to be part of it? Because that's what Christ has chosen to do. Why does our glorious head join himself to such a feeble body? Isn't it amazing to you that he would do that? The church is where he chooses to display his glory. He wants to use the church to achieve what he desired to achieve. And we can be part of it. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. And so let me move on now with the time that I have to give you quickly five implications. So what does it mean when we say Christ is ahead, but we as a church, the body of Christ, what does it actually mean? Five implications that I want to give to you from the body of Christ's image. The first one is the most obvious one, is Christ is the head of the church. Please remember Christ is the head of the church. The church belongs to Christ. The church belongs to Christ. Not because we've decided to make him the head, but because he is the head and he's decided to make us his body. It's the other way around. Christ is the head of the church. Not any one of us. Not the one that gives the most money to the building project. My church in Singapore, we built... Uh, the extension project built a new century cost 3.5 million dollars and there was only one donor one lady one donor 3.5 million dollars just give write a check and give to the church that's it and recently when I went back I asked my friend who is a senior pastor who is that lady can you point it out to me so I can approach him <laughs> oh sure sure I will point I'll, I'll, I'll point him to you and I said where is it before service time Today she's not here. (laughs) I was so disappointed because I wanted to approach him and say, we lack half a million dollars. Can you write a check for us? (laughs) Half a million for our church. But Christ is ahead. But the church doesn't belong to lady even though she paid $3.5 million. And Chinese churches are notorious in that especially the migrant community, you start a church, you think your church belongs to you. And because you pump in the more money, you think the church belongs to you. But Christ is the head of the church. Christ has gathered us together. We are his people. The body serves at the direction of the head. We don't have, we don't have the rights to decide what we ought to do is dictated by Christ who is the head. And so the vision and the mission of the church 
cannot be derived by us. It must be derived by Him, which He revealed to us in the Word. We may differ in terms of strategy, but the vision and the mission must be the same. Because it's not from us. We don't craft out something. It's not like you're selling chicken rice that you can come up with what you want to do. The church, all churches must do the same thing because the vision, He is the head and He gave us the, the direction. We can differ in terms of how to carry it out, but the vision and the mission has to be directed by the head, which is Christ. So we don't have the right to deviate in the sense of church doing something or let's do something different. Most churches are doing the same thing, you know. Let's try something different and do it different. Achieve that. You cannot do that because the vision and the mission has to derive from Christ himself. So Christ is the head of the church. Remember that. Secondly, every member of the body, we need to be connected to the head. Every member of the body. So if you are a Christian, you need to be connected to the head. You need to be connected to the local church. John Stott wrote a book. I can't remember the title of the book now. Something about church. And uh, at the front page, uh, intro introducing the time, he was saying, I hope, he said, I hope none of you are reading this book. And he speaks about this phrase. He, he said, you are not a grotesque grotesque anomaly of an unchurched Christian. Grotesque anomaly. Anomaly means you deviate from the standard. You are not a grotesque anomaly of an unchurched Christian. Of course, you can be a Christian without belonging to a church. We don't press the analogy too far in a sense. Uh, the thief on the cross do not belong to a church, but he's a believer. But that is not the norm. That shouldn't be the norm. Uh, every local Christian, every Christian must be connected to the head, however bad experience you may have to endure before your experience. How many of you watched the movie 127 Hours? Have you heard of this movie 127 Hours? It's the story of Aaron Ralston. Uh, he was an adventurer who got trapped in a canyon in Utah when the falling rock trapped his arm. And nobody knew where Aaron was. And he waited 127 hours with his dying arm trapped behind an unmovable rock. And in the end, there was only one solution. And with a dull knife, Aaron cut off his own arm, free himself, because there's the only way to survive. He'd rather lose an arm than die. You know, Aaron now is still alive. He's become a kind of sensational speaker, uh, positive thinking kind of speaker around the circuit, and he get along without his right arm. But you know what? I believe he would surely be glad if there was a way for him to get his back. And I think that's how it is with the church. There are, one author said, there are many, many amputated saints around severe from the body detached members belonging nowhere have neither the capacity to grow nor the opportunity to serve detached amputated saints lone ranger out there 
that is not belonging to the body. And like Aaron, I think he would like that I'm back. And I think God would want that I'm back. Do you remember another story in the Bible? The gospel tells us that when Jesus was arrested, after he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then Judas came with all the soldiers to arrest Jesus. And what did Peter do? Remember? Peter drew a knife and he sword, not knife. And he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Anybody knows his name? Malchus. I believe, I don't believe that Peter went for his ear. I don't think he's that good, man. I watched some YouTube about all these sports tennis player, uh, Djokovic holding a can of the tennis ball, the, the container, and Sharapova, you know, served on a hit that can't, ended up hitting his groin. Uh, uh, even as a professional, you're not that good. And I don't think Peter, who is just a fisherman, he was so sharp in wanting to cut off his, the Malchus ears. I think he went for his head. But either he darted or he, he was not a very good shooter. He missed and cut off his ear. He sliced off his ear. So this ear was lying on the ground. It was severe. What use is an ear when it is severe from the body? The body needs the ear and the ear needs the body. And Luke tells us in chapter 22 that Christ touched the man's ear and healed him. Can you imagine Jesus picking up this limp piece of flesh from the dust and sealing it to the body and prayed over it? And that's what I believe God wants to do for amputated Christians, saints who is out there, lone ranger, disillusioned, disappointed, and whatever that may be, hate the church or Christ being the head loves to seal it back. Like Aaron who wants his arm back. I, I think he would love to have his arm back. And, and I'm praying that uh, uh, God will use you in some ways to uh, reach out to these detached and amputated saints that you know. Or maybe some of you are also that way. Uh, the Holy Spirit will work in you and tell you this is where you belong. I am placing you here to do my will. And so the second application and implication that we are the body of Christ is that we need to be connected to the head. Thirdly, the implication is also that every member of the body must be responsive to the head. We must be now that we are connected to the head, we must be responsive to the head. We must allow the head to direct us. We play a part in this family, this body of Christ. Uh, last Saturday, the Saturday before, we had membership class, and I often tell the, the, the members, if five of us, five people will be new members, uh, some of the things that you can do as a member. And one of them is that you must, as a member of the church, protect the unity of the church. That is your responsibility. When you come into this community, it's your responsibility to protect the unity of the church. And we only ask of you what the scripture asks of every Christian. No difference. And then another thing we ask of the member is that you, not just only protect the unity of the church, you support the ministry of the church. 
you play a part in this community. You are not just half, you know, kind of gym membership. You sign up, you go only once in the blue moon or something like that. Or many years away, my wife gave me a 20-visit pass in Forest Hill, you know. And after, after six months, expiry date came along. I only used twice. Uh, so I went back there and said, can you please extend? He said, all right, I'll give you two weeks. I said, two weeks, 18 days? I said, 14 days, 18 days. Well, one day I'll become twice. Uh, so he extended to one month for me. And after one month, I only used another two times. Which is, and then I went back again. Can you please extend? And the person said, sorry, no. And I left that place, I felt very, very angry. I said, you very lousy businessman. <laughs> I said, first and foremost, my wife has already paid for it. What's your problem? Already paid for it. You, you, you're not losing anything. And your weight is, is a fixed asset anyway. I mean, what does it matter whether it's there or not? And let people use, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. But you turn me away, you make me angry, why don't you work out a deal with me and say, well, I let you use 30 times and after that you must sign on as a member. I said, I will probably do that. I don't know how I get into this story, but uh, <laughs> other than the fact that we, we must be responsible, responsive, we must support the, the ministry of this church, this 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 body that you are part of. Remember another story in Mark chapter 3 about this man uh, who had a shriveled hand in the Bible. And the hand was connected to the body, but it wasn't doing anything useful. It has lost the capacity to function. And Jesus, there was somehow a breakdown. Then Jesus came along and said, stretch out your shriveled hand. And, uh, and then the man stretched out uh, his hand, and the scripture simply say he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. So when, you, when we are connected to the head, the next thing is that we must rest, be responsible, responsive to the head. We play a part in this community. If everybody do something, then it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Whatever that role may be, is beautiful because we are connected to the head. There's a story about uh, an ancient village in, in Spain. And the villagers learned that the king would pay a visit to this village. And in a thousand years, a king had never come to that village before. And excitement grew, and the villagers came together and said, we must throw a big celebration, and the villagers all agreed. But it was a poor village, and there weren't many resources. Someone came up with a classic idea. Well, since many of the villagers made their own wines, the idea was for everybody in the village to bring a large cup of their choice wine to the town square. And they said, we pour it into this big vat and offer it to the king for his pleasure. So everybody just a little bit of best wine and pour it into the vat, and then we serve the king. And I think when the king drinks of the wine, it will be the very best you ever tasted. And the day before the king's arrival, hundreds of people line up to, the, to make their offering to the honored guests. They climb a small stairway and they pour their gift through a small opening at the top. And finally, the vet was full. The king arrived, was escorted to the square. He was given a silver cup and was told to draw some wine, which represented the best the villagers had. And so he placed the cup under the spigot and turned the handle and then drank the wine. It was nothing more than just water. 
because every villagers had risen, I withhold my best wine. And I'm just going to substitute it with water. It's not going to make any difference, you know. Everybody bring wine, mine just water, make no difference. But he has forgotten that most people think alike. <laughs> most people think alike. Everybody think the same. Everybody bring water. And as a result, the king was greatly dishonored. Don't think that you're so different. We're all pretty much very similar. As I often always say, we all cut from the same piece of cloth. However, you can make the piece of cloth into a dress, into a blouse, into a pants, but the material is the same. You are saved by grace. And so the king was greatly dishonored as a result. And so for us, when we are body of Christ, we are connected to the head, we must be responsive to the head. Use our gifts to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord cheerfully and joyfully. The fourth one I want to add in this because I, I believe it's so true. Every member of the body will suffer with the head. You know, when your head suffers, your body suffers. When you can't think straight, your body dysfunction. Every member of the body will suffer with the head. I want, to, I want to challenge you today to reconsider service within the body of Christ. You cannot be a pastor. You cannot be a missionary. You cannot be a faithful member of the body of Christ without any suffering wounds. The body of Christ will always have scars. Think about the incarnation and the physical body of Christ. He was born in a manger. What happened to his body? The same body in which he fulfilled all obedience, he was lacerated, he was pierced, his body was broken, beaten, pelted. It was the body in which he suffered. The world inflicted pain on Jesus, the body of Jesus. And in over 2,000 years of history, the world has always hated the church, which is the body of Christ. It always has and it always will. Let's be clear about that. Don't expect the world to love you if you are living up for Christ. Look at John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And in verse 20, which I miss out, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So if you devote your life to serve God, you will have scars and wounds to show for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul understood that. He said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. 
we all want to be part of a healthy body, but the body of which Christ is the head is also a despised body, a suffering body in this world. And some of you here struggle with scars that came to you in the course of serving God. You suffered in the body. Scars suffered in the body are evidence that we are joined to the head who wore the crown of thorns and whose hands and feet are pierced. Paul knows that. Again, in chapter 3, he says in Philippians, he boasts about, he says, well, I have nothing to boast. All this Pharisee, this kind of achievement, righteousness on my own effort. And he said, this is nothing, this is rubbish. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his what? Sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The body of Christ will always be known by its scars. Do you remember the story of Doubting Thomas? I once did a series of sermons on the 12 disciples many years ago. Some of you were around. Thomas is is amazing man actually. He's not doubting. We, we gave him this doubting Thomas. He's a deep thinker. He's not Peter, a bit more spontaneous. Uh, he's more of a deep thinker. But when he thought through something, he made up his mind, he'll stick to it. And some people who are more spontaneous, we promise something, but we don't actually quite be able to carry through what we promise. And doubting Thomas is someone who loved Jesus. And he even said that when the disciples say, Jesus said, I'm going there. And Thomas said, come on, let us go and die with him. But he is a doubting Thomas. He got this name. But do you remember how doubting Thomas came to faith after the resurrection? The disciples told Thomas, we, we, we saw him. We, we, Jesus appeared to us. And this is what Thomas said. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger where the nails were, and unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I believe what Thomas said of Christ is what the world is going to say of the church. That unless I see the nails in your hands, and unless I put my finger where the nails were, and unless I put my hand into your side, I will not believe. The physical body of Christ was broken for the life of the world. And how can this body live within cautiously safe limits? Where did we get the idea that the highest good in the body of Christ is ministry marked by a life of comfort and convenience, which is the twin enemy in our society, comfort and convenience. We'll do anything to avoid that. And Christ, he wants to say to men, this is my body broken for you. And, and for this to have any credibility at all, I think the church, which is his body, must become broken bread and poured out wine for the life of the world. We must have some scars and wounds to show. And even to that, we still believe that God is real. I have used this illustration before, but I want to use it again because it's so powerful. And each time I read of it, I still get... Uh, uh, 
you know, goosebump in this. It's by Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary to India for many years, and for the many years of his life, over 20 years, the last 20 years of his life, he was bedridden. And it is during that time that he wrote a lot of, she wrote a lot of books, and this is what he says. He said, has thou no scar? No hidden scar on your foot? No hidden scar on your side? No hidden scar on your hand? I hear thee sung from England as mighty in the land in those days. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. But hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against a tree to die and rent. By ravering beasts that compass me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? <coughs> Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierce are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? It's quite a haunting last sentence, isn't it? But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? Maybe scars is a badge. Wounds is our scan bar you know, of uh, a mark of a disciple of Christ that as we serve him we are connected to the head as we respond to the head sometime we suffer for Christ because the world dislikes us but the, the good news before I close the good news it is the fifth point while we Christ is the head while we connected to the head and we responsive to the head, we suffer with the head, and lastly, every member of the body will be glorified with the head. Will be glorified with the head. One day, the scarred body of church, the body that has so often been feeble and weak, the body so despised and hated and persecuted by the world, will be taken up into the presence of God. And that scarred body will become like his glorious body. The head that once crowned the thorns, crowned with thorns, is crowned with glory now. And the body known by its scars will be known by its glory. You will say, I am so glad that I am part of the body of Christ. So this is the image of a church, that Christ is the head and we are the body. He is the head and we connect ourselves to him, we respond to him, we suffer with him and we will glorify with him. And God is using this body who is part of his body here to go and do amazing things and mighty work here on earth. Let me close with this. Uh, there was a story during the World War II uh, when the Nazi were bombing uh, a particular country. And there was an Anglican church there that had a, had a statue of Jesus with his arm outstretched outside the church. 
And the caption below the statue of Jesus with his arm outstretched was this, based on Matthew eleven twenty-eight. They say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the statue of Jesus outside the church with this caption, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. But after the uh, bombing, uh, when it was blown up and when the members started to rebuild the church and wanted to replace the statue, they discovered the arms and hands were so pulverized from the bombing they actually could not be salvaged. Well, they could have chosen to manufacture new hands and arms to the statue, uh, but they decided and chose not to. And so the the, outside the church now is a statue of Jesus Christ with no arms. But they changed the caption below. They simply say, Christ has no hands, but your hands. Uh, Christ has no arms, but your arms. We are the body of Christ. And if we are, and if the body of Christ is going to move, it's going to be our feet. If the body of Christ is going to hark, it is going to be by your arms. If the body of Christ is going to speak, it is going to be through our mouth because we are the body of Christ. May we uh, see ourselves not, not just you know, depicting church from other kinds of images, but the church is the body of Christ and we are the members. Let me just pray, and we're going to repeat the song again, reminding us of our role here in this world. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us that we are the body of Christ and you are the head of the church. We have no business to decide what we ought to do other than doing what the head tells us to do. And Lord, you are our head, you are our sovereign Lord. Uh, we want to be connected to you. There are many people who are not connected to you. There are many saints and Christians who are not part of the local church. Uh, maybe they have been wounded. Uh, may we bring healing balm to these people and able to usher them back, connect them to this body and be responsible to respond to this body, this head, and do ministry for you. Thank you, Lord. You're a good God. We pray that you will bless each one of us being part of this local church. However weak we are, however much we have failed, uh, you love the church. And help us to, to embrace this church. Help us to journey life together in this church. And help us to have wounds and scars to show to the world that we belong to you. Thank you, Lord. As we sing these closing hymns once again, uh, help us to be reminded that we have tasks to do, we have job to do. Uh, until that is done, uh, you won't return. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we close this time and have lunch together?
Grace in a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that unfinished rebuilds us lawful ease. We who rejoice to know thee, renew before thy throne that solemn flesh be
we cannot experience your peace. And unless we make peace with you, we can have peace from you. Then and only we can be a peacemaker. Thank you, Lord. The Lord bless you, and the Lord keep you, and the Lord make His face to shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you, and give you His shalom peace. Now and forevermore. Amen.